Good morning. Um, just to allay any fears or anything, don't worry, I am not a, a guest speaker today. Um, Doug's in my relationship is to the point where he never allows me over two minutes to talk anyway. Um, but I want to introduce myself. My name's Mac McGee, and uh, some of you may have heard this story of mine, but 57 years ago, I was adopted by Tom and Delia McGee. And I've been, trust me, I've been grateful ever since. Um, when I was conceived, uh, my biological mother knew that there was no way that she could provide for me the kind of life uh, that she wanted for me to have. Um, and, and so she chose another path. Now, back in the days, um, they still had abortion, and, and she was, it was suggested that she uh, have an abortion, but that's not what she wanted to do. And in those days, the doctors made the arrangements. So there was a doctor here in Jacksonville, Florida, that had a client that needed a baby. And uh, so my biological mother moved from this small town in Louisiana, Thibodeau, Louisiana, to Jacksonville to give birth to me and then to put me up for adoption. Um, she passed away when she was 40. It's about 30 years ago, and she passed away. So I never really had a chance to really thank her uh, for giving me this chance and this opportunity. And she never had a chance to see what I had become, which is, which is kind of sad. But 12 years ago, interestingly enough, um, I had an opportunity to meet with her mother, my biological grandmother, and her two brothers. So I have a biological grandmother and two uncles in Thibodeau that, that we had a great time getting to know each other. Um, but because of that opportunity that my biological mother gave to me, I was able to meet my wife and marry her, Terry. And we've been blessed with three beautiful daughters. And just because they're in the audience here, too, uh, um, also an extended blessing to me is my mother and father-in-law, who really are an older brother and older sister that, that I really never had. Um, and so it, the, the, the blessing of the opportunity given to me by my mother was, was immense. Um, but think about this. That decision, that one decision um, to uh, put me up for adoption and, and the idea of abortion, abortion doesn't just take one life. It affects a number of generations. I fully expect, I hope they don't hear me say this, but I fully expect my daughters uh, to get married, have their own families, and, and continue this generational uh, impact uh, that that one decision for life gave for me. Now, my adoption story doesn't end there. Last year, I had an opportunity to meet my biological father. Um, in that meeting, I also had an opportunity to meet a half-sister and two half-brothers. None of us knew that either existed. Uh, and, and it's been a really fun reunion getting to know them. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a meeting that I really did not expect. This one came out of the blue. Um, that's a whole other story. But the, the deal is that it's God's plan, and it's a story that God has been writing into my life that, that none of us could ever imagine. Um, I couldn't have written it out, um, but God has a plan in mind, and I try to take his story and honor him with it. It's not anything about me. It's about God's story to get the message out. Um, the idea to remember that I get out of this, Dallas sung about it today, Doug talked about it last week, is that each and every life is a beautiful gift from God. Um, this Friday, and I just kind of want to make you all aware of this, but this Friday, September 28th, begins a movement called 40 Days for Life. 
Um, it's an opportunity for those who believe in the sanctity of life to do more than just talk about it. Uh, but it's an opportunity to really stand up uh, for the sanctity of life. Um, I simply wanted to share my story uh, because it's a reminder that it's more than a movement. It's, it's a personal story for me. It's a personal story for my daughters. Uh, and it's, a, it's a personal story for the generations that are going to be coming from that. Um, because we didn't have to go through the abortion aspect, because I am here today, we can continue this story and watch it grow. Um, being pro-life for me is not just a political issue. It's a personal story. It's a personal story uh, for me, for my girls, and for the generations to come. I just want to thank all of you who are willing to stand up um, and support and, and fight for lives like mine that have been saved by this. Thank you. What I've appreciated so much in knowing Mac is the fact that we usually think about the single life that is saved when an abortion that it's planned but doesn't take place. What I've been struck with is a single life saved often becomes a family that wouldn't have been to multiple families, to multiple generations wiped out because of a single decision. So as precious as one life is, you see abortion impacts so much more than that single life. And so you saw on the screens that we have an opportunity to stand for life and to specifically Christian Family Chapel have some assigned times and days of October 10th, 8th, 10th, 22nd, 24th, where we can literally, not figuratively, literally stand for life. It's important that we don't simply be against abortion. We are for life. And oftentimes that means being for life means being willing to be for adoption and to support those who would care in that as well. And so this is part of, again, not who we are politically, who we are as the people of God who uphold this book. When we uh, looked last week at our By Faith Whatever series, we looked at a man named Moses. And Moses' story, and this is where I really connected with Mac, Moses' story, we learned, was one where he was supposed to be killed at birth. Not, and again, because it was the law of the land during Moses' day. Hebrew boys were to be killed at birth. But Moses' parents, the scripture tells us, by faith did not do what the law required. They did whatever they could as protectors. For three months, they sought to save his life. And when they could no longer protect him, they released him to the sovereignty and to the providence of God's goodness into the Nile River. And there, Pharaoh's daughter found him. And what should have she done? What should have she done? Yeah, she should have drowned Moses at three months old. Should have died at birth. Should have been drowned at three months. But she, the scripture says, had pity. And so she takes Moses, literally gives him back to his mother who nurses him. And then when she is finished nursing him, returns Moses to Pharaoh's daughter. And Acts 7 picks up the story for us. 
about how God spared his life and says that Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him, how? As her own son. Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. And I hope you won't miss the incredible providence of God in this story. A man who should have been killed at birth lives. A man who should have been drowned is saved. And if he lived as a Hebrew boy, he should have been a a slave, but he isn't a slave. He actually grows up with all the rights and privileges of royalty. You, you appreciate, you capture when Max said he could have never written the story that God has written in his life. We could have never written this story that a baby who should have died is saved and not just saved but raised in royalty, receiving the best education on the planet at the time. But as the story unfolds, Exodus 2 was the historical account. It says this, Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up, that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, notice this, one of his... Brethren, that's significant. He sees the Hebrews differently as one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now that's the historical account. Generally in this series, we've read Hebrews 11 and then gone back to the historical account. Today, I gave you the historical account. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews interprets what we just read historically. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, did you notice that's exactly what Exodus 2 said? When he had grown up, here's what he did. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So what I love about this text is that Exodus 2 and Hebrews 11 both use this expression, by faith Moses, when he had grown up. Do you know, by chance, how old he was when they said he grew up? Yeah, this event takes place when he was 40. Would you not normally consider someone grown up long before 40? Yeah, you would. You, but you might know some 40-year-olds who need to grow up, right? See, actually, the text, though I think the text is obviously acknowledging this is Moses no longer a baby, this is Moses an adult, there is a reality here that this is more than age. Growing up is not really a matter of age. You have, I have known 18-year-olds who are grown up, and we've known 50-year-olds who need to grow up. It's not a matter of age, it's actually a matter of clarity. Now, we may say maturity, and that would be correct, except maturity is the byproduct of clarity. Moses 
when he grew up. It's just not that he is older. It's that he sees something that he did not see before. So go back and look at Hebrews 11 again. And we will see that growing up is a matter of having clarity first regarding identity. Moses saw himself when he grew up differently. There was a moment when he said, who am I? Who really am I in this house? It says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, again, think more age, think more, more clarity than age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why? Why? You're making it too complicated. Why? Because he wasn't. But he had been living like it. See, there's, a, there's an identity clarity. He's going, I've spent my whole life living like this, but that's not who I am. I am not Pharaoh's daughter. She raised me. She's educated me like I am. I've had privilege like I am, but that's not who I am. Who am I? I am those slaves what did it say in Exodus 2? I am their brethren. They are my... This is it. I'm not Egyptian. I'm Hebrew. I'm not royalty. See, there is a clarity in who he was that, that makes a difference. And so, translate that. We usually think, hey, when you get this age, you ought to be grown up. But we've already established. People grow up before that age and grow up long after that age. Because growing up is having clarity of identity. In other words, it took Moses to age 40 when he looked around and he said, my life is inconsistent to and with who I really am. You with me? Because he has that clarity of who he really is, he says, I refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and I choose... See, identity makes clear choices. I choose rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Why? Because identity reconsiders. It considers the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So capture this big idea that identity clarity... When I am clear on who I really am, then I will know what I will refuse to be called. Some, some men, when they grow up, or they feel like they're grown up, they refuse to be called the name they had when they were boys. Right? There's a point sometimes where, like we have a Tommy, a Tommy goes, I would like to be called Tom. Or Thomas. Why? Because Tommy sounds like a kid. Now, he, he doesn't hear it that way. But you understand what I'm saying. There is a point where you reach a place in your life where you go, no, that's not who I am. 
It determines what I'll choose to enjoy. Who you really think you are will determine what you really choose to enjoy and what I consider to be treasure. If you're missing me, if you're not following, so much of what we talk about, now watch this, translate this from Moses to our life's spiritually. Because what's our mission? To grow fully devoted, spirit-empowered Christ followers. There's a growing up that's intended to happen with all of us. But sometimes we think growing up is, it's simply a matter of behaviors. But growing up is ultimately a matter of behaviors, but they are rooted in what? Clarity of identity. Until you settle on who you are in Christ, trying to live the Christian life will feel like, oh, this is just too hard. I can't. And you will be, and some of you are, conflicted. You want to be saved. You want to have a relationship with God, but you want to enjoy the passing pleasures of the world. You want to have what is thought of as a foot in both worlds, right? And there, there came a point in Moses' life where he said, I can't be this and do this. That is inconsistent. My identity ought to determine what I refuse, what I choose, and what I consider to be treasure. Would that be true for us as Christ followers? That our identity in Christ ought to determine what we refuse, what we choose to enjoy, and what we consider to be treasure? That is part of growing up. And growing up is not ultimately found in a behavior. It's found in clarity of identity. Who am I? So, who am I in Christ? Well, did you notice I packed as much as I could in the message memo this week? (laughs) And it's about a tenth of what I should have really been able to put in there. Because we start talking identity in Christ. We could write whole books. We could do whole sermon series. So I picked, and understand, I picked a few. This is by no means comprehensive. But here's a few. When you were dead in your transgressors and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our... How many of our transgressions? All our transgressions. So my identity in Christ is that I am forgiven. Yes. Is that, in, is that important? Oh, because until you live according to that identity... Some of you will still, and some of us will still live according to guilt. Guilt will drive us in marriage. Guilt will drive us in parenting. Guilt will drive us in our private life. Guilt. And that's not consistent with our identity. You will not grow up. I won't grow up until I recognize my guilt has been taken out of the way and been nailed to the cross. I can't follow Jesus. Until I recognize I am forgiven. Mostly? Completely. Completely? Yes. Yes. Completely. Forgiven. If you are in Christ and you stand before the Lord, we think, oh, this is the, my sin's going to be for the Lord. No. Either you're in Christ and your sin has been taken out of the way, or you're not in Christ. 
But guilt often still drives us. So, identity of I am forgiven. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. In Christ, I am forgiven and I am made new. I'm not just washed off, cleaned up, whitewashed, scrubbed, remodeled. I am a new person. I didn't know that. When I first came to Christ, I thought, well, I've been given a second chance. Don't blow it so much this time. That was my mentality. And so just try a little harder. Don't mess it up so badly. That was my identity. I'm not a new house. I'm just a rehabbed one. And rehabbed houses end up with bad bones, with new pain. That's not who you are in Christ. Seeing that his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust. So there's like four things you could write down just from that two verses right there. You can pick one. Here's the one I picked. I'm a partaker. Who am I in Christ? I'm a partaker of the divine nature. No, it's Christ is where? In me. Not just with me. He didn't just save me. He saved me and he poured himself into me. I am a partaker of the divine nature. Yes, I am not only made new, I have been given the spirit of God to walk in newness. Listen, listen. Apart, apart from the knowledge that, of that identity, I was a hopeless failure at walking with Christ. Determined, but my longevity was generally two weeks after a new commitment at camp each summer. Because I didn't, I didn't have clarity on identity. See, growing up, is, foundation, is founded on my identity. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same life, love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. You understand what, what he's saying here? He's saying that... When you are in Christ, you're part of a faith community. It's just not individualistic that you are forgiven and a partaker of the divine nature that you've been made. No, it's more than that, that I am a member of the body of Christ. You won't grow up as long as you think it's just you and Jesus, nobody else. Part of your growing up is essential of being Connected. That's why we use that word so much around here. To be connected, to be a part of a faith community. Apart from that faith community, you're going to be blind to your sin. Apart from that faith community, you're not going to learn what it means to lay down your life for Christ. Apart from that faith community, you're not going to know what it is to love or to be loved on a human level. See, that is essential and part of our growing up. And I'm a citizen of heaven. Not only a member of the body of Christ, I'm a citizen of heaven. So what's it say in Colossians chapter 3? 
Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden where? Where is it? It's hidden with Christ and where is he? In God in heaven. And so our life, though we still reside on this planet, our citizenship, our true home is in heaven. You understand? You won't grow, just trying to bring it back, we won't grow up as long as we think life is here and now. See, Moses said, as long as I think Egypt's my home, I will never be who God intends me to be. Egypt's not my home. It's not who I am. Put them together. I'm forgiven, made new, partaker of the divine nature, member of the body of Christ, citizen of heaven. These are, these are a part of our identity foundation. There's lots, lots, lots more. What I encourage you to do is this. Ask yourself which of these or some other part of your identity in Christ has been significant in your spiritual growth. Or aren't you growing? Maybe you're 40, but still not grown up. Still not had that, I'm defined. I'm going to live according to who I am. Because is it possible? Is it possible to be in Christ, but not living like it? It is. It's possible to be in Christ, but not living like it. So I don't know, am I? Well, is this, is, is this identity part of your decision-making and what you refuse and what you choose and what you consider treasure? You see what I'm saying? We, we tend to focus on these actions up here, but those are actions that flow out of an identity foundation. And really, all of us need to consider, who am I? Who am I? And is that consistent with then what I refuse to be called at work or at home? What I choose to enjoy? What I consider to be treasure? A couple observations. For many of us, this, this clarity of identity will come after, who knows how long after, but after we've been born again for some time. Every once in a while, a person is born again, and that new identity, from that moment that they're born again, they, they're changed. What often happens is a person comes to Christ and they're grateful and there is minor tweaks to life, but life often stays the same until there's a, a, a moment where the inconsistency of who I am in Christ and how I'm living meet tension and a decision is made. For me, that came in high school. But for some of you, you might still be in that tension. Am I, am I going to build my life upon my identity in Christ? 
so that it is the foundation upon which I refuse, choose, and treasure. That was Moses' story. He had been there for a long time, and then he came to a, a defining moment of decision that said, no more. I'm not going to live inconsistently. Second observation. A decision of faith does not guarantee a lifelong action of faith. Moses, Hebrews 11, tells us, made a decision. I'm going to refuse, I'm going to choose, and I'm going to consider this. And then what did he go out and immediately do? He killed a guy. Have you, have you ever scratched your head about that and go, how is that an act of faith? So how was it an act of faith? It wasn't. What? Yes. Moses, like all of us, had acts of faith and had plenty of acts that were not of faith. He made a decision that said, this is not who I am. Those are my brethren. And in an act of faith, he went out and did an act of the flesh. Right? That's why it doesn't say in Hebrews 11, by faith, Moses went out and killed a guy. That's strangely absent. Well, not strangely at all. It's absent from Hebrews 11. Why? Because it wasn't an act of faith. His decision to have clarity and identity was accurate. It was an act of faith. The decision to kill somebody was not. Here's my point. You and I will often come to a place where we decide, I am going to really follow Jesus. And the next day, you know what we do? Something in the flesh. And we go, uh, see, it doesn't work for me. Ever felt that? I'm going to live for Jesus. And then you blew up. And you stabbed everybody around you, verbally. You know, well, that went well. See, I just, I can't do this. No, that's Moses. There is a, there is a growing in Christ that happens, but it's founded in first an identity. I'll give you an example. Is there a difference between getting married and learning to be married? Uh-huh, uh-huh, Right? Hey, it's pretty, which is easier, getting married or learning to be married? <laughs> yeah, yes, it's lots easier to get married because parents pay. And you just go, it's fun, a big party, lots of food. And then you go, oh, wow, new identity. There's some things to be learned according to this new identity. Lots to be learned. But it begins with a, I do. Same spiritually begins with a, this is who I am. Now I need to learn to live it out. M Moses, in an act of the flesh, kills the guy. So he went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? Now, do you see the zeal for the brotherhood in that? He is like, no, I, I haven't been with you. I haven't seen you as brothers. And now I'm here and I'm all in. What's wrong with you guys? Why aren't you all in like I'm all in? The guy goes, well, who made you prince or judge over us? Mr. Live in the palace. 
Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Whoo! It's out on Twitter land. People have found out. <laughs> Moses was afraid and said, Surely the matter has become known. And Pharaoh heard of this matter. He tried to kill Moses. This is terrible. I should have just stayed in the house, and you know, stayed Pharaoh's son. That's the way it often goes. We make a decision, things blow up in our face, and we go, I'll just be like the normal churchgoer. I'm not really. You follow what I'm saying? Don't be surprised if you make a decision to say, I'm all in for Jesus, and it gets a little ugly. And, and it's because you haven't learned, quite frankly, don't blame on anybody else. It's because you haven't learned yet. You're still habitually living in the flesh. So Pharaoh heard of this. He tries to kill Moses. What, what are you going to do if you're Moses? This is interesting. He says, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian. I would completely and you probably would, completely misinterpret this text if Hebrews 11 doesn't correct us. Maybe you don't know the two texts, but I have long lived with confusion and tension over this. Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled it. Why did he flee? Because he wanted to kill him. You know what Hebrews 11 says? By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. What? Come on. Really? Is that what it sounds like in Exodus 2 to you? That's not what it sounds like to me. So what do you do with this? Oh, 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 folks, this is not hard. You go, wow, I misinterpreted Exodus 2. I thought he was running for fear. He wasn't. He was running in, in faith. Usually we think running is fear. Actually, the author goes out of the, say, out of the way to say it wasn't a fear. It was faith. Well, how could that be faith? For he endured as seeing him who is unseen. See, we would think he was running in fear because he didn't want to die. But the text already says in Hebrews 11, he would consider dying better than living in Egypt. So he actually wasn't afraid to die. He wasn't running because he was afraid to die. He was actually running. Why? This is what I was like, wow, man, I got to really wrestle with this. Why is he running in faith? It's to endure. Endure what? I think he is enduring the purpose that he has understood God had saved his life. That he understood God has saved me to be a deliverer. And he went out and said, brother, let's get to it. And they weren't with him. He wasn't afraid to die. He just knew he had purpose. And so he ran in faith to endure the purpose for which his life had been saved. See, grown-ups have clarity regarding identity. We've established that. 
they also have clarity regarding their purpose. Have you never said to a young person, and you need to grow up and find out what you want to do with your life? Purpose, clarity is part of being grown up, yes? Yes, it is, spiritually as well. It's not only knowing who am I in Christ, but second, why the world am I here in Christ? So look at it. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unforeseen. I underline those for this reason. Purpose clarity. This is what I learned from Moses. Purpose clarity will determine where I live or what I leave, where I leave. He left Egypt, not in fear, but in faith, because staying was contrary to the purpose that God had saved him for. It's not over-spiritual at all to ask yourself, do you live where you live by faith? And would you ever leave there where you do? By faith, because in staying, you could not stay where you are and still fulfill the purpose for which God has saved you. Wow. That's challenging stuff. Faith is living according to purpose. And purpose answers off to the question for us, where do I live? And what do I fear? I didn't make these words up. These are right in verse 27 of Hebrews 11. It's where I live, what I'm willing, where I'm willing to leave, what I fear, and what will I endure? Because of the purpose that God has for me. So can you succinctly, well, I don't, let me not phrase it as a question. Let me phrase it as a statement. Grown-ups in Christ can very quickly identify, not just but memory, out of memory, but from life experience, they can quickly say, here's who I am in Christ. If I said, take five minutes and write down who you are in Christ, could you write it out and list the scripture? If you can't, I challenge you, learn it because you'll never grow up until you know who you are in Christ. Not because you filled it out in a message memo after you saw it in a screen. It came out of your own heart and mind. You know it that well. And then if I said, all right, take a minute and just write down, why are you here? Why are you here? Do you know, is it in your heart and coming out of you, I know I am purpose driven. I know why I'm here. Oftentimes, I find people go, man, life is so complicated. So many hard decisions. That's not really true. Life's not that complicated. If we're clear on our identity, confusion is often a reflection of I'm not clear on identity or purpose. So why am I here? If I'm going to grow up in Christ, i got to know that I'm here to make the life of Jesus visible. That's why I'm here. Jesus lived on the planet to make the Father visible. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he said it ought to be true that when people see Jason, they see Jesus. Jeff, 
Oh, I see Jesus. That's why you're here. That's why you're still on the planet. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also being made manifest, made visible in our mortal flesh. We are corporately and individually the body of Christ. He has wrapped himself in our humanity so that the way we would live, people would go, I see Jesus in that. Second, I'm here to be an ambassador through which the gospel would be proclaimed. It's just not here for people's eyes. It's here for people's ears. That's why we're here. For for people to hear what they desperately need to hear, which is the gospel. That we're not saved by our works. We're saved by what Christ has done and through faith in him. People desperately need to hear that good works will not get them to heaven. That they think, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm not that bad. Yes, they actually are. We are that bad. We're here to proclaim the gospel. Is that coming out your mouth? We are ambassadors for Christ as, as though God were making an appeal. How? How? So it's God making the appeal, but we are the mouthpiece. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Then Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, do you believe in him? This is Paul's right here. Do you believe in him? All right? Because this is important. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he'll do also. If you said yes, you're going to do the works that Jesus did. Nope. Well, keep reading. And greater works than these he will do. Because I go to the Father. I'm off the planet. The works that need to be done that I have been doing... They're now in, in your hands. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. Why are we here? To be the instrument through which the work of Jesus is done. That's why we're here. To do the work, to be the instrument, to be the mouthpiece, to be the living example. Right? Make it visible. Make it verbal. To be that vessel through which Jesus does his work. It's not complicated. Identity will then... Raise us up to we go, I have confidence in God that I can live why I'm here because of who I am in Christ. But for all of us, there, are, there is a decision, this is who I am, I'm going to live like it. And then there are daily decisions, this is who I am, and I need to live like it. But mostly, we're all squirrels. Do you know what I mean by that? Been driving down the road recently, 
and a squirrel safely in the side yard decides, there comes a car. I should run into the road. You notice how they do that? Safely off to the side. Oh, car coming. Let me run out there. Oh, bad decision. Maybe I should go. Oh, no, maybe this. Oh, no. Oh, that. Chose poorly. You've all seen that, right? I am 100% that the Father in heaven looks down and goes, what a bunch of squirrels. That's how we live. Oh, this. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, God. No. Because we, we are so conflicted. Our identity doesn't drive us. We go for a purpose, and then we back off, and then we think we should, and then we go away, and then we turn back, and we look like squirrels. By faith, by faith, Moses said, I'm going to live according to who I am. Yeah. Then he killed a guy. Oh, now I got a faith. And by faith then, he was back and forth. But it begins with, this is who I am. And this is why I'm here. So really this morning, I don't know if you noticed, but I started teaching lots earlier than usual. Because we always plan our services, and the band can come on up, because we always plan our services on Monday. And so somehow, though I knew the service we planned, because I was part of it, (laughs) when we went through first hour, I went, we should be singing these songs after the sermon. So I wrote a note to the guys, hey, how about we try this? And they're like, are you serious? We already planned it. So... We're going to try this. It might, I think we're going to technically pull it off. Why? Because the Word of God is always intended to be responded to. It's often in a moment of prayer after I teach that we'll respond to the Lord. The songs we're about to sing are responses to the Lord, really, in regard to what we just heard from the Scripture. So as the words come, just don't sing a song. Recognize this is me responding to the life of faith exemplified in Moses that needs to be true in my life. All right? So let's stand together and let's respond to the Lord.